We've never seen a perfect marriage. But we have seen marriages that are full of laughter and life. Conflict and misunderstandings. Growth and hope. We want to dive into the nuts and bolts of those relationships. There are no experts here. Just real talk with real couples who really like each other. This is Marriage Lab with Aaron and Jenna. Hey everyone, thanks for joining us on Marriage Lab. I wanted to give a proper introduction to our guests, Danny and Sherry Silk, because when we started recording the podcast, I was so excited and nervous to be interviewing them that I totally forgot that not everyone knows who they are. So here it goes. Danny and Sherry Silk are the creators of the organization Loving on Purpose, which is a resource for people who want relationships that are full of hope solid communication skills, uh, and ultimately a loving connection. They have classes, courses, teachings, books, and resources for better marriages, parenting, and relationships in general. Danny has written multiple life-changing books, including Unpunishable, Culture of Honor, Loving Our Kids on Purpose, Powerful and Free, and Keep Your Love On, as well as having co-authored numerous others. He and his daughter, Brittany, host the Kylo Show podcast. Kylo standing for Keep Your Love On. Check that out when you get a chance. Danny and Sherry were pastors at Bethel Church for many years and were Jenna and my first introduction to what it meant to live an emotionally intelligent and relationally connected life. They were they were and continue to be transformational in both of our lives. And Danny even wrote an endorsement for my book, Numb to Known, which was incredibly generous of him. So check out their website when you get a chance, lovingonpurpose.com. And while you're at it, check out our website, zinsquad.com, where you can find information about Jenna's life-changing habit mastery course. Every one of us has innumerable habits in our life that we've intentionally or unintentionally created, and they are either serving us really well, just getting us by, or taking us, um, taking from us. In Jenna's course, she uses the science of behavior change and the psychology of the mind and heart to help people build habits that not only help you build the life you didn't know was possible, but one that's sustainable as well. In this course, you'll get practical tools to overcoming lifelong roadblocks that have felt impossible to move past. You'll create your own habits throughout the course uh, with guidance from Jenna herself, who is the best person that I know at encouraging, ideating, iterating, and sustaining uh, lifelong change. They are in the middle, uh, currently in the middle of one of their 12-week courses that she offers, um, which by the time you're listening to this, that might not be true, but as of the release date, it is. So if you want to get on the wait list, go to zintsquad.com and check out Jenna's Habit Mastery course by going to the very top of the page where it says Habit Mastery course in the menu. Click there and you can join the waitlist. Or if this happens to be, you happen to be listening to this much later than the release date, just go check it out and see if it's available to sign up for it. You will not regret it. Uh, every person that I've heard talk about it has been raving and saying, this is, this is incredible. Everyone needs to do this. And while you're there, you can book a one-on-one coaching session with either Jenna, myself, or both of us if you're in a relationship and want to do some premarital, marital, or uh, just coaching in general in your dating relationship. Uh, check out my book, Numb to Known, The Surprising Path Away from Porn on Amazon.com. And lastly, if you like our podcast, please rate it, review it, and share it. All right, let's get to the show. Marriage Lab, we have very special guests, Danny and Sherry Silk. Thank you guys so much for being on with us. Yeah, yeah it's good to be here. Awesome. We're yeah. happy to be with you. We love you guys. Yeah, well, likewise, we, um, I'm going to take, as I mentioned before we started recording, take a minute to just tell you uh, how much I appreciate all that you guys have done. Um, just, I mean, in the church in general, but Specifically for me, before, even before we had kids, Loving Our Kids on Purpose was my favorite book for the longest time and reread it multiple times. Um, I just really love the way that you, um, just your, the message that you carry in general and how applicable it is to every relationship, even though that was specific to kids. I just, I, I used it in our marriage and just pretty much every part of it. Um, I remember before, so he read it a couple times and then we had kids and I was not a big 
reader at the time. And he asked if I wrote cliff notes, if he wrote cliff notes for me, would I at least read those? And I was like, <laughs> okay, that feels a bit convicting. So I finally read it because I was like, I can't read my husband's cliff notes. I need to be better than this. <laughs> and then uh, just your, uh, the unpunishable message was uh, during the school ministry, because I did that back in 06 through 09. Um, was very transformational, what I needed to hear at that time. So um, thank you guys for doing all your loving on purpose stuff and what that's meant to a lot of people. I guess you guys are in a lot of ways are kind of the original people who brought Christianity and married it with like relational health, emotional health, like that they, there was overlap versus like, I think I just thought before coming here and hearing your messages, like there was this site, like, the secular world with all like psychiatric and all the things Psychology. and then like Christianity. So the idea of the overlap was like, I don't know. I think it, that's actually probably one of the things that attracted to uh, me to Aaron was his interest as well. So you, mm-hmm. you set us on a course for that. Thank you. Yeah. Well, there you have it. There you go. Matchmakers. <laughs> it's all those there, years there as go. a social worker, honey. It totally is. All those, yeah. all those years in the Four trenches times. with folks that are bleeding out both ears and, uh, trying so hard to fix their trouble and not realizing that they didn't necessarily want the solution that I was trying to force down their throat, you know, Mm. and uh, burn yourself out. And eventually you realize, you know, there's got to be a healthy way to help people. And then when I got into ministry, I realized this is just social work with a Bible. (laughs) And uh, so, yeah, it, uh, it, 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 so many super healthy, helpful things in our Christianity that for some reason we just never tapped. And uh, so it was, it was a, it was a, a thrill to have that role in, in the church and, you know, yeah. with, uh, with Bill and Chris and Bethel and all that. I remember when he used to teach, he would teach parents parenting to outside of the church and um, didn't talk about spanking so much, you know, Bible. And then he'd get in the church and he'd be in trouble if he didn't mention it, you know, like that was the only tool Christian parents had was I'm going to spank you. Yeah. I'm going to rule with intimidation and (laughs) domination and, uh, confuse the message of God is love. So it, it, the, the, the church was the, the, the testing field for does our own message work here? Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. It makes sense to the, if the only message we had as parents was spank your kids, intimidate them into uh, going the right way. It made so much sense that either that was the byproduct or an ongoing uh teaching of how God relates to us, hence the unpunishable message that comes in and goes, wait, what if God isn't like all about spanking us and uh, ruling us through intimidation all the time? Yeah, yeah. it was a big, Very it was helpful. a leap. It's still, it's still a leap for some, but it's catching on. It's catching on. <laughs> We're getting closer. 30 years into it. Yeah. yeah. God's kind of nice sometimes, kind yeah. other times. And yeah, we're getting closer to believing that all the way. So also, last I checked, cool. the ground hasn't on, opened Sherry. up and swallowed anyone lately. You yeah, know? yeah. Yeah. It's very old it has system. been a while. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say that I know that you did some of your like an original teaching in the public school system. And it's cool because there's still like fruit of that where they're still offering some Mm -hmm. of the classes. And even our son goes to a public preschool and they totally use love and logic, you know, like all the the choices and it's great. And it's actually reinforced what we're doing at home. But I've thought a few times when I've overheard his teachers, I'm like, I think Danny like definitely paved the way for this to be so (laughs) such a natural part of our school district, which is epic. Yeah. So we um, we really wanted to interview both of you, um, not just to get to talk to some heroes of ours, but we had to fangirl out. I mean, I fangirled you fanboyed for yes, a moment. Keep and then, the gender part yes. for me. <laughs> um, but also uh, because this is Marriage Lab, and our the focus of this podcast is really um, interviewing couples who um, the, our only prerequisite is that they like each other, regardless of whether they're good at um, disseminating the message of relationships or not. Um, cause we want to extract some 
why they like each other and what they do that makes that possible at the end of the day. Um, and so I, there's kind of an infamous story um, that we've heard a lot through Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry, as well as just in the church. But um, I'd love to hear you guys tell it about you got premarital counseling from Bill Johnson. And there was like uh, the special note that came along with your assessment results. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. Yeah. It was the Taylor Johnson compatibility assessment. Um, 12 years in, we were sitting on Bill and Benny's couch and they were asking us to come be their associate pastors in Weaverville. And we were bickering about something. I don't know. And Bill goes, huh, that reminds me of that note. And we're like, what note? You know, what are you talking about? He goes, the note, the note that came back on your assessment. Remember? And, uh, we said, what, what note? He goes, I, I didn't tell you about the note. And Benny from the kitchen goes, Bill, you didn't tell them. And we, now he's got our full attention. Like, what are you <laughs> what talking now, about? Bill? Yeah. And uh, he says, well, that's funny. So, you know, for 10 years, I, I would take those assessment results. I'd put them in an envelope. I'd send them to the psychologist. He'd shoot it back. I'd read the paper to the couple he says, I got yours back. I opened the envelope and there was a post-it note on yours. And it said, Bill, do whatever you can to stop this marriage. <laughs> and uh, that we, explained a lot. we realized in that moment, <laughs> no, you didn't tell us about that note. So 12 years uh, of being clinically incompatible. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was really, I mean, we were like, what? You didn't tell us, but I was glad he didn't tell us. Um, sure. I mean, we didn't need any more reasons why to, you know, not make this work. We had family issues rolling in. We had, we are polar opposites. We had all kinds of stuff mm. going on. We did not need a permission from an expert telling us we were incompatible. Um, yeah. I think one, for me anyway, the, in all those hard years, we, I grew up at home where my parents screamed, let's get a divorce every night. Mm. And they were on their third marriage. You know, my, my mom and stepdad were already on their third marriage. So I grew up with everybody screaming, let's get a divorce. And I, I do know that when, um, when we got into trouble, I would go on purpose to someone I knew that was going to kick me back into the game, not give mm. me excuses to get out. I had lots because we were newly saved and then married right after that. So we had lots of friends that weren't believers that would gladly have told us we were nuts to have, they thought we were involved in a cult anyway, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so it was, it was kind of like, I, we, we didn't scream, let's get a divorce. We didn't talk about it. Um, it wasn't ever an option for us. And I didn't even choose to talk to my parents when we were in trouble just because I knew I wasn't going to get the right kind of advice yeah. from them. And so I think that it, for me, I know that was a, a big deal. I remember driving in my car after an argument um, down to downtown Reading because we didn't have cell phones. And I called Benny from a, really horribly dirty payphone on a Sunday morning. Uh, I remember like holding the receiver out here because I didn't want it to touch my face. <laughs> That's how dirty it was. And she just listened to me and she said, okay, well, there's a lot of things going on with you. One of them is you're pregnant. I was pregnant with Taylor probably or something. And she said, just, you need to go home, <laughs> you know, and work it out. And I think we just never went somewhere knowing we we're to reinforce right. the pain and all yeah. those issues. You didn't but. look for people to com commiserate with you. Yeah. No. Was that something you ever talked about and agreed on or how did it come up as like kind of a core value? I don't remember talking about it. Uh, we were just born again into a community of people that that was mentioned a number of times. Like that's just not a, uh, uh, don't make that an option of your decisions. You know, it, the, the, the disconnect has the goal of finding reconciliation, not permanent disconnect. And mm -hmm. 
that's our language today. We would we would talk like that. Yeah. But all the examples around us were people that were just deeply, deeply con- committed to covenant relationships, which is why so many of us are still friends to this day. You know, we mm. we have forty year relationships because we were we were taught yeah. very early that we are in this for life. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. all of us we're yeah. in this for life. So that's how we end up together as a unit in Reading is the core values and culture of Weaverville was uh, deeply covenant relationships. And how many marriages did you say are between you two? I think this is in the, um, the DTR. uh, So my, um, my, Mom and dad and stepdad who raised me had been married three times each. And Danny's mom and dad had been married three times, plus multiple relationships. That's just the people That's they just married. just the people yeah. they married. Sure. So, yeah. Um, yeah, 15. 15 marriages. 15 marriages rolling in to our relationship. To our clinically incompatible <laughs> Can I, I'm so curious that, uh, cause I've, yeah, those first, the first, would you say it was the first decade to 10 to 15 years that was like extra difficult or what, what was the, like, I'm curious about this dividing. I know there wasn't a dividing line like a day, but what was the mm-hmm. period of time where you started to see your marriage shift in a way that you like felt stronger than like constantly at each other? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it was it was about 15 years in, um, we were pastoring in Weaverville. So we were underway as senior pastors at Bethel for a couple years. And, and Weaverville, you mean? Or at Bethel? In Weaverville. And, uh, that's when the Sozo ministry hit the, hit the shores at Bethel. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's inner healing they, ministry. Yeah, it was that uh, you know, ask ask God what he thinks right now and and talk to God about yeah. this and Holy Spirit is your counselor. That that whole brand new concept. Um, you know, we we found ourselves uh with an an offer to to meet with the people that were doing that at Bethel at the time. And so Sherry went and got a sozo and I was thinking what a great idea. You know, you need a sozo. And uh, she comes back and I said, so how was it? Huh? How was it? And uh, she says, it was really, really good. It was really helpful. I says, yeah, well, what they say? You know, what happened? And she said, well, I found out that uh, I've lived uh, for a very long time, never feeling protected. And I thought, well, yeah, you were raised by the wolves. Of course, you know, that. of course you weren't, you know, you got six brothers and your dad's crazy. And yeah, I'll bet. She says, yeah, I I never felt protected by you. And uh, that was a brand new concept to me because I had never up until that point, I can honestly say I'd never thought about protecting Sherry because when Sherry would get upset, she would get angry. And I thought about protecting myself. I thought about protecting everyone around us. But I never thought about protecting her. Mm-hmm. And that flipped a switch in me to where I began to move towards her when she was angry mm-hmm. as though she was hurt or scared rather than as somebody who was uh, the threat, you know, to, to yeah. as soon as I as soon as I. I personally, I think that was the change in the, in the marriage for me was realizing that I always moved away, shelled up, protected myself instead of moved towards her. And she, you know, she couldn't believe it for a while. So she kept poking me in the eye to see if I'd back up. (laughs) But I, I, I eventually I was able to stay in there and I got a very different version of who she is. And that started the rest of the chapters in our 39 years coming up this, this June. That's amazing. Did you ever go for a sozo yourself, Danny? 
No, never. Mass Tech. I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, I, I had a, I, I've had a bunch of sozos in my in my life. But, um, I was just wondering if you had any points like that you realized some of the mindset shifts or beliefs you were carrying that were was affecting your marriage. Um, I, you know, I think that that revelation. I mean, her sozo oh, delivered sure. me. Mm-hmm. You know, it was kind of a it was a conversation. It was a real. It took me a couple of days because when she said. I never felt protected by you. I thought she missed the whole point of a sozo. You missed the whole point. And uh, so God bless it took me a little while to, to finally hear the Lord say, you know, did you hear what I said? And I said, yeah, I heard what she said. And he said, did you hear what I said? I said, yeah, I heard what she said. I said, did you hear what I said? And I realized, oh, I really am guilty of never considering protect and sharing. Yeah. Wow. I and was, how, oh, go ahead. I was really scary. Like I, um, for me a few years before I had a Sozo, I, um, I had some revelation about, I didn't realize I was an abused child. You know, your normal is your normal, right? So I, my parents, I knew we were dysfunctional and I knew we, they had, there was a lot of divorce and my stepdad was super angry. Um, every house we lived in was scarred by his, his violence, you know, um, physical violence, broken things everywhere. Very scary guy. Um, but I still didn't really put it together that I had behaviors of someone that it was up to them to protect themselves. It was my job because nobody was going to do it. Six brothers. I was either the princess or the science project. I mean, those are my two options when you have unsupervised time and six brothers, right? In an ungodly home. So I was, this is really funny story, but I was watching Oprah, God bless her. And she had a show on child abuse and I had put the kids down for a nap and I was sitting there. Brittany was kind of around. Brittany was probably six or seven years old. And they described sort of the behaviors of an abused child. And I was like, Oh my God, I am just a walking poster. My, my, my parents always had um, finances. So we always lived in, we weren't rich, but we were upper middle class. I always had businesses, new cars, new houses, we were never in child protective services arena. So that because of their status in, in their life and their lifestyle, we never were exposed um, like we should have been probably. So when I took, had that revelation, I was probably 33, four, 32, maybe 31, 32 years old or something. And I started going to um, sort of a help group for codependency Mm. And I went for a year wow. every Tuesday night. I mean, I was, I thought it was dumb at first and then I, it was really healthy for me. So I started realizing that my anger was terrifying my family, not just scary for Danny and unhealthy for us. Cause I was really mean with my words when I was mad, mm-hmm. I knew how to fight. I grew up knowing how to fight. And so the kids were just starting to be scared of me. And so I started on this trek. And so when Danny got his Sozo and revelation and he started moving toward me when I was angry and sort of trying to unpack what was going on behind my anger, it was usually, I was afraid, you know, um, or hurt. And so I just tried, I went from fighting back to trying to duct tape my own mouth that just to shut up and stop being so mean and work through this problem. And as soon as we started doing that routine, our lives started completely transforming because I'm not, I was able to be vulnerable and share with him what's going on and how I was hurt or something. And he was able to bring his best self, um, all the skills he has, you know, I was able to trust him and, Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, you, and then that's really where keep your love on came is mm-hmm. those years that we fought hard to change the behaviors that were so hurtful yeah. and really 
Um, our kids, probably Brittany, some, but uh, our kids did not grow up in this in the house they would have had we not made those adjustments wow. yeah. when they were little. It would have been a completely different scenario for them. Yeah. And in our support group, like Bill and Benny and Chris and Kathy and, and others, the Harpers, they were really supportive and very healthy people, but they didn't give us skills. Mm-hmm. They didn't have the same dynamic. They didn't have to right. find those skills. They had right. very different So they people. loved us well, um, but they didn't say do this or do that right. or don't do this, you know? So yeah. that's where Danny's all those years in school, he dug deep, learned new, you know, do, learned behavioral change. And we started adapting that in our home. So mm-hmm. that's Maybe. why we very passionate about skilling everybody up. Yeah. It makes sense. <laughs> Did you um thank you for sharing. I don't yeah. think I've actually heard that before. I was like, oh yeah. I was gonna I was asking Danny if you went to school before you guys had that change in your marriage or if you went to school after. Uh it was I had gone to school before, so I yeah we were we were married, had Brittany working in a group home with juvenile delinquents, six in a home. We moved three times a week. We changed houses during the week. five years. And then we went to our house uh, for our days off (laughs) while I went to school for full time. And we're fighting like cats and dogs. And uh, we did that for eight years. And we went to church every Sunday. We loved Jesus. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And so it uh, it was a... A pressure cooker and it was either going to blow us up or meld us together right. and yeah. uh it, it obviously it, it all worked out but it was uh not anything i would ever counsel anyone to go do yeah yeah, yeah. i i'm curious if you can give me danny some of your like the practical thing you did when you say i moved towards her because i began to look at her as somebody who was either scared or hurt rather than somebody who is just scary and hurting me. Um, I can imagine how defensive I would feel in any of those given situations. And then to force yourself to actually move towards is very difficult to manage internally. But then what exactly does that look like when somebody is say Sherry was scary in a given moment and you said, I'm going to move towards her. How would you have described that action to somebody else? A terrifying Terrifying and, uh, and, and totally counterintuitive. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it takes the biggest big boy pants that you have to do that. Right. Um, I think mixed with some skills, you know, and I just add the skills and that is we get, we've get, we've gotten better and better at you tell me about you. Mm-hmm. And I'll listen. And then I'll tell you about me and you listen. Mm-hmm. So until you own that assignment, you try to tell the other person about them and yeah. what they're doing wrong and what they said and what they meant. And the other person has to go, Oh, you're totally right. I never <laughs> saw me like that. Gosh, I can't believe what a wicked, selfish, evil person I am. You know, that never happens. I never yes, agree with yeah. your judgment of me. That's why I'm defensive. I'm defensive mm-hmm. because I'm trying to protect myself from the judgment that you are presenting me. Mm-hmm. So, the the way out of that is to to say okay i feel this is how i'm experiencing you i feel hurt i feel disconnected i feel lonely I, that felt disrespectful to me this feels accusational to me i'd get in that mode where i'm describing me while you listen to what i'm describing instead of me accusing you and you defending or justifying yourself away from my accusation. So we got better and better at, okay, you tell me about you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Tell me about you. Okay, honey, if you're going to keep telling me about me, I'm going to leave this room mm-hmm. and we can talk later until you're ready to tell. If you're not going to tell me about you, I'm not going to listen. Mm-hmm. Or 
if you're not going to listen to me tell you about me, I'm going to stop talking. Mm-hmm. So those agreements in the communication process begin to protect us from hurting each other. Mm-hmm. And really, we get better and better at being vulnerable, being seen, and doing a good job of listening and seeing and understanding how we need to adjust to help our connection. Yeah, it's good. And so I was described it. I was going to say I would describe it as I had to learn to shut up and Danny had to learn to man up. Mm-hmm. Just kind of, he had to be able to push through scary pain or what might be happening. And I had to just learn to stop, stop being so mean. And, mm-hmm. and we both had to learn how to talk. And I think Danny grew up with a really passive mom mm-hmm. who was very abused by everybody that came into her life. Mm-hmm. And, so he was he was a very pass more of a passive, less dominating kind of personality. Mm-hmm. And um so and I grew up trying to survive in my home. So we we entered our family, I made started our family with very different sets of skills yeah. that were both survival. So he would just we'd get an argument, he would just disappear emotionally, mm-hmm. just not there. Yeah. And and which would I would just get angrier and come try and go in there and get him and it would just make him go in farther and farther so he had to show up and I had to shut up you know it was just kind of us learning those different ways to communicate you know yeah that sounds really hard (laughs) I hear though from both of you that like really owned your piece of it though I think Mm -hmm. there's like so easy to think of all the ways that your spouse should change or this would change if your spouse changed this but like even yeah. in the middle of it, like you guys had humility. And when you got called out by God, Danny, and then Sherry too, your support, yeah. all the things I'm like, Oh, it's like when you said yes and listened and humbled yourself, I'm like, those probably were some big turning points. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I can, I'm trying to picture Danny, you in one of those uh, moments um, where Sherry's loud and going, okay, tell me more or like what, whatever the, the <laughs> words you might use in a given moment to, if she was, when she was being mean and you decided, okay, I'm going to lean into this moment to go like, Oh, that sounds really hard. Like I'm trying to, trying to extract the words that, uh, cause I know there's going to be people this. Yeah. Maybe some, whatever you would say to Sherry. Cause I, in the beginning, I would imagine it wasn't pure boundaries. Um, like it wasn't like, I'm not going to listen to you because then Sherry would have got bigger and louder. But like, how do you come in with softness when somebody isn't soft? I think there were a lot of boundaries at first. Oh, okay. Yeah, there were, there was yeah. a lot of leaving the room be- a lot of, because I'll talk to you when you're as calm as I am. It, it was, you know, it's, it's like a mutual agreement that eventually is established. Mm. And, um, you know, to this day, I can tell when she's revving up beyond the point of, of return. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll just say, I'm done talking. And, and she knows that you, know, she, she says, I can see the look in your eyes when I have hurt you or mm-hmm. when I have crossed the line, like, right. And so you begin to navigate those cues with each other because we want to keep the conversation going, but there is a, a, uh, you know, the ref throws the flag and, and, and the game stops, you know, the game stops and, and we, we have to adjust in the, in the conversation or we, we have to say, we'll try later. Mm, Yeah, that's good. How about the whole, like, I feel like there's such a conception of like, don't go to, to sleep angry which has turned into like, it feels like, which has turned said. into keep the, keep it going. Yes, keep it going. Like we have to urgently solve this or we're ignoring or avoiding or I don't know, some biblical, what do you say to like the come back to it? Like, do you get parameters when you guys come back or like, do you, can you, I know you've built up trust probably enough now, but in the beginning, what were some of the like parameters around space until you were regulated enough to be productive in your conversation? Um, I think the the language that I would put to that is don't go to bed with the goal of distance. That's good. You know, 
don't go to bed with the goal of disconnection. So even if we're laying there in an unresolved conflict and, and maybe bloody, <laughs> um, we, we internally commit to my goal with you is connection. I don't know how we're going to get our connection back yet, but my goal with you is connection. So, you know, re-regulating by morning, by the next conversation, what have you, is is propelled by the goal is connection, mm-hmm. not distance. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that having that agreement in the relationship, you know, regulates each of us towards a, a productive and helpful outcome. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and, and um, even distance as punishment mm-hmm. can't be an option as well. You know, just so there's a blow up or there's a disconnect or whatever. And it's, I I probably have more of an urgency to go fix the the problem than he does. So it would be really painful if he just withdrew his love and punished me with distance while I was over here hurting or whatever, you know? So sometimes I think it's even a touch of like, we haven't talked yet. Um, you know, we don't have to say these words, but we know we we know we're looking at, we need to communicate our needs and things, but maybe it's just, I'll walk by and put my hand on his shoulder or mm. he'll, slide his hand across my back in the kitchen. Like it's, it's, we're going to, we're going to figure it out. You know, it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be solved this minute um, or we don't have time right now, but you know, that just what Danny said with my thoughts and my heart and my actions, my goal is connection no matter what happened. <laughs> I, I think that's where, you know, understanding the love languages comes in. Um, you, you know, you can be disconnected but I'm not turning my love off. So um, would you like a cup of coffee? Sends a message to her that I'm, I'm, st- I'm still caring. We're disconnected, but I'm still caring. Yeah. You know, her touching, you know, my leg, you know, she scoots her foot over and touches my foot. You know, I know. Okay. I know she's regulating here. She's, she's yeah. commanding herself. I don't have to control her because I can't. And she can't control me. So I'll control myself to send the message. I care. We're disconnected, but I care. Mm-hmm. And and the anxiety comes down and the best of us comes out. So good. What would you say when um, almost there's like a keeping score and I'm always like, we'll hear sometimes like I'm always the one that reaches out when we're just, you know, like the example you just gave, like touches the foot on or like bridges the gap. Like how would you encourage them to not, you know, like what were the words you would say about not keeping score? Who's the first one to bridge the gap? Uh, well, I would say the, the, the first one to remind us that we love each other wins. Hmm. That's a good way to put it. (laughs) It almost incentivizes. Going to keep score. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> may as well work. Make it work for both of us. Yeah, yeah. The 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 first one to listen wins. The mm. first one to care wins. If if the goal is connection, then uh, then my behavior is very different than if the goal is uh, equity. Or if the goal is winning or the goal is proving that you were right. I mean, when that's the goal, then connection is sacrificed for an inferior goal. Mm -hmm. That's good. Um, And sometimes there's, uh, you know, there's conversations that happen around getting reconnected that don't have anything to do with the blow up. <laughs> yeah. You know, like our, we just have to get reconnected. And then there's these uh, sub topics that have to be worked through maybe at a different time or, and then, you know, figuring out what happened or 
whatever, but sometimes just getting reconnected is the first part. And then you can talk later or whatever, yeah. talk about the hard things. And, and the, and the, the conversation changes when you're connected. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when you're disconnected, you're scared, you're hurt. The The worst you that you have is, is on the surface. <laughs> so moving towards the love chases away the fear and the best me is on the surface. So when people get disconnected and then they try to talk it out, you're like at 11 o'clock at night. Yeah. Exactly. That's what I was thinking about. <laughs> I brought the worst me to the worst you let's, let's talk yeah. like what a terrible idea. You know, yeah. what a, what a mistake. So the first goal is let's get our connection going, meaning let's exchange I care about you, and then we can talk. Mm -hmm. And that's a different conversation than let's war. Yeah. 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 We, I think it was only this year in all that we, all the breakthrough we've had in our own relationship and things like that. It was only this year that it dawned on us. Um, that, oh, we actually, in order to be connected, we don't have to solve this thing first. Because I thought that working through conflict and or being connected meant resolving the logistical problem that we had that created the disconnection. So if our sure. connection broke because of this, uh, the conversation around parenting, then we have to solve the conversation around parenting in order to reconnect. And it was this year that we, like, or it was last year that we discovered, oh, we can actually, like, feel connected and then our brains are like starting to work again. The, all the frontal lobe is all the blood's going there instead of all the crazy back parts. And so that was incredibly helpful for us to realize, no, oh, there's, it's possible to not have something solved and be connected at the same time. Didn't know that was yeah. a thing. Especially because at this point in marriage, like it's, it's like a, maybe we fight once every eight months, but it's about the same things that we, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. the same differences in personality or seeing things differently. And, being wired so differently, but the idea of like, almost like knowing we probably won't solve, like there's not going to be this major piece of the puzzle we're fi like getting to right now, like nine 30 at night, but also to like, I just kind of have sometimes have to remind myself that like, I'm safe in this relationship. Even if I'm in pain, like Aaron's safe, I'm safe. I can trust like our connection, even if I don't have an answer that would almost like the answer felt safe before or like having a solution was where uh, yeah. I thought safety lived, but like I can be mm -hmm. safe in our connection and not find a solution. So I like have to self-talk. I'm like, you're okay. You're safe. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of self-talk. I mean, even sorry, we were, when we were in the group home, like crazy, I, I, I don't know what we were thinking. We have <laughs> friends from that time in our life as well that are dear, dear friends. Cause we were just in the trenches of, crazy but um even back then when we were disconnected a lot um and we had a really stressful life one of the things that always helped me was danny's humor like mm. um when we got together he was a new christian so he had shut some of that humor down because it was inappropriate probably <laughs> <laughs> and so we got we started working with all these teenagers and all of a sudden, this comedian just showed up in my life, right? He was just, I mean, he still makes me laugh. So we would go in the bedroom at night in a house where we had to lock the windows and turn the alarms on. And wow. That kind of pressure of group home and runaways. And, and we had Brittany. Not. Brittany's one. We'd bring oh. her in. She was always, always with us, never without us. And um, we left when she was about six so those years but we would come in the bedroom at night and I would say okay make me laugh I mean literally <laughs> Danny turn into stand-up comedy and he would reenact the day and I would just laugh at these horror these are like gallows kind of humor stuff yeah. that would happen <laughs> but it was the, it it kind of people always ask me what you know, what really helped you in the early years, even in those hard years, we laughed a lot. And, mm. you know, we had three kids, so we connected every once in a while during that, that time. Yeah. <laughs> At least, <laughs> yeah. I mean, humor was a big, a big deal. I'm intrigued. Yeah. I don't know if you could answer this, but 
if you were now counseling people who were, their marriage was as challenging as you guys experienced, who were going to school, had a one-year-old in a group home, would you advise like relieving some of the external pressure so they had more bandwidth to work on their marriage? Or like, I don't know, what would your thoughts be if someone came to you in like the same situation you were in? Yeah. I I mean, I think I talked to some young gal that's married with a kid just the other day and with a certain kind of very stressful job and thinking about going into even a more stressful situation. And I'm like, I, let's talk about that. Let's Mm. talk through the, the, decision because I always say women can have it all nowadays you know we we just can't have it all at once Mm. and and I think we need to realize that we want to do all these things and be partners and entrepreneurs and and but every once in a while we just have to go okay I just can't have all these things at once and I don't want my family to, to sacrifice or my husband or whatever so that I'm living my dream job or something I and I I so that's I would definitely, and we, when we first got married, Bill put us in charge of the junior high youth group, which is a bunch of crazy boys. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't, yeah, I would do it different, differently. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think people have asked us before, would you ever advise divorce in a situation, mm-hmm. you know, and sort of there's biblical reasons for divorce, but definitely would you know, we're talking about he's working on him. I'm working on me. We're coming together, working on us. But there are lots of scenarios where I'm working on me. You're not working on you. And you're certainly not working on us. And so what do you tell somebody in that situation? And it really is you you don't have to get a divorce. You can love someone from another house is how Danny would put it. You know, you have to mm. protect yourself. And often when he would teach... um marriage stuff, I wanted to get up after him and say, what he's not saying is to stay in an abusive marriage. What he's not yeah. saying is that you can't have any boundaries in your life. He's, right. You can only have so much of a preach in one hour, but there's just, there are things that you would look like you've worked with a lot of women in particular that were in really hard situations and um, they needed to get out mm-hmm. <laughs> of where they were and, 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 think it through. It's sad when there's not, that's why I love when we have workshops or parenting stuff or anything. When you see both couples, both parts of the couple show up for the training because it really does help with an investment in their, in their family. If they both do the work, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. Um, Yeah. I think that the idea of advising somebody in our crazy circumstance um, yeah, I would be helping them, uh, deconstruct some of the stress factors, but at the same time, it gives me great faith to know, uh, what, what you can actually handle. Like a lot of people are griping about how busy they are mm-hmm. and they're single, Yeah, yeah. you know, and like, Oh, you, you have no idea the capacity that you have as a human being because uh, you're not married. You have no children. Uh, one or both of you aren't sick, you know, or all everybody's not. You, you got so much room to go. You're, you're not stressed out. You're just hitting the edge of your capacity and yeah. it's going to grow. So I think mostly what that time in our life gave me was was hope. Like I have great hope for anybody that's complaining about how stressed out they are, how maxed out they are. Um, I, you know, you, you don't know what you can do until you have to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And um, sometimes people just need to bleed off a little steam feel a little support, get some courage and and maybe some skills and get right back into where they are. Sure. Hmm. Uh, So I have, uh, I think one last question for y'all before we move in, uh, like in the show, the episode, Uh, you know, Jenna and I do um, teach different classes, do some coaching and things like that. 
And so, and we're always talking about emotional health. It's a lot of like what we learned from you guys. Um, and so I, I know what it's like to talk about, Hey, if you're, you're going to feel defensive in this given conversation, here's how to go in, uh, and like be on their side and not and listen and all that stuff. And then we get home and then she starts talking and I, I suddenly I'm like, this is totally different because she's so wrong. I need to, I need to defend myself in this situation or whatever. And I realized, gosh, this is the stuff I talk about is so hard to actually live. Um, and I find this so often. And so I'm just curious because you both are the experts at this stuff. Is there still times where it's hard to, uh, live out the, or practice the things that you preach? I always say practice, practicing what you preach is overrated. It's raw. <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard. Yeah. We still, I mean, um, I remember we did a Valentine's banquet speakers. We were, it was the Valentins and us and they got up there and said, we've never been in a fight. We've been together since we we're teenagers and never been in a fight. And we were up next. Like, <laughs> yeah, and I said, and I said, you know, Chris, if you'd have married Sherry, she'd have killed she'd you in the first you. week. <laughs> um, yes. But I, I just, yeah, we still, I mean, I think at this point, there's just certain things we know we're just not going to wade in on because we know the other person is hunkered into their position mm-hmm. and I just don't care. I don't care enough to fight about it anymore. Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot more of that at this point in our marriage, but yeah, we, and Jenna said it earlier, we, we still, if we're going to fight, it's usually about the same things sure. that we've always fought about. You know, they're just, we're very different people. Um, we think we're right a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't know what that's like. I have way more words than him <laughs> you know, to, to describe whatever I'm feeling or needing or doing. Um, so, um, so it's still, yeah, and I, I think even can. different personalities, like we'll sit on a plane for hours and Danny won't even really talk to me. I'll sit next to him for five hours and he's happy to be watching a movie and not talking to me, you know, and I could be hurt by that, but I also know this is how he charges his battery. This is how mm-hmm. he, this is his peaceful moments are. He's so happy for me to just sit next to him and put my hand on his leg and watch his movie and he doesn't have to say anything. You know, if, if I need something now I could say, Hey, I need you to communicate with me. Let's talk for a little bit about something. He's, he's right there. Mm. He's like, yes. Um, so he's not hiding from me. I can just go get him. But I think in the early years, it felt like, you know, you're avoiding me or you're, you're not participating or you're unavailable. I mean, all those really nice thing labels. You put on other people. Yeah. And I would say, Oh honey, you're so right. I am so <laughs> Every wrong. time. Yeah. I need to listen to you more. You should really shape my personality. Yeah. Direct response every time. <laughs> yeah. No, no. But uh, the idea of uh, having to practice what you you know, I can look at your situation and s- clearly see both sides, you know, clearly see, you know, what, what will help. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm working it out in my most intimate relationship. So I liken it to an eyeball touching contest. Like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to touch your eye. Okay. I'm going to touch your eye. Now don't get defensive. Now I'm not, I promise <laughs> I won't hurt you and, and you have to let it happen. And I think that's the difference between mm. helping somebody else and helping yourself. Mm. That's so good. That's really good. One of the things that I actually, I kind of like uh, Sherry, we're health coaches together and they talk about when you're coaching other people, it ups the accountability on your own. And I do like that. Like, I like that. Yeah. I'm yeah. not going to be inauthentic. So like if I'm telling someone else to do it, it reminds me the next time in that, in that, in that scenario, I'm like, yeah. okay, use your, tools Jenna. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's yeah. true i i think that and i think momentum in one place helps you have momentum in other places so i would go with danny when he would teach parenting and i'd be like oh yeah i need to do that more oh yeah I would, it was like you know just receiving like oh i have i have loosened up i have relaxed on those things and they are really important so i i yes yeah, constantly 
reminding ourselves to do better. Of course, we have grandkids now and we don't, we don't, we don't have to do anything but say yes. <laughs> and if it's a no, it's like, go ask your parents. They can say no to you. We don't have to. We don't have to anymore. All of a sudden, I got really envious of not being a grandma. <laughs> Would you actually give yeah. us a couple more examples? I love that example of ways that with him sitting, you sitting next to him on the airplane and things that like earlier on in marriage, you would have deemed like the way he was doing closeness or quality time was wrong or broken, you know, like almost make a, like a rule. Like this is how you do marriage. If you're going to be together, you're going to need to talk. What are some other examples of, as you realize like, Hey, he's allowed to do it that way. And it's not broken. And I don't have to demand him to change because my, it's my opinion, not like an absolute truth. If there's any other ones, Danny, you too, but like mm-hmm. things that you guys realize, like it's okay that you're wired like that. Um, yeah, it's hard to just pull them out of the air, but I think that the, the behavior is if you, if I need something, it's my job to tell her mm-hmm. it's not her job to intuit it you know like uh you know she had to read my mind i think early on in our relationship i would just act all wounded mm-hmm. and you know all uh, uh you know miserable i would just <laughs> yeah, yeah. and and she, and I, if i said enough of that to her then, it's really sexy yeah, yeah. She's, <laughs> she's gonna come over here and tend to me right yeah. or if she's you know if she's like belligerent enough, you know, like I'm going to go, Oh my gosh, how can I hug you yes. deeply? And, you know, just, just yeah, I just want to be with you. Uh, it, it's the opposite is true, which if she says, um, early on, what she would say is I'm not feeling special. Mm-hmm. And that came from a conversation where, you know, we need something. And when we're not, getting that need met anxiety starts to to pulse through our veins and it starts coming out in misdirecting ways so we tried to you know we tried to boil it down to okay i need to know before that thing i need to know so do you know that and she said well i'll i'll pay attention to that and then you know she would be worked up and she would just walk over and go i'm not feeling special and I'm like, oh, oh, okay, that's because I'm spending too much time doing whatever meets my needs. And I'm like, okay, the f- faster I can adjust, the the the, uh, the less amount of time she spends in anxiety. Mm-hmm. And the less amount of time she spends in anxiety, the better it works out for me, right? So I'm highly motivated to respond quickly, adjust quickly to a small prompt. And likewise, you know, if I if I say uh, I'm I'm feeling disconnected, or recently I said I feel neglected, or something like that, and she was like, "Oh, neglected! Oh, you know," I'm like, "Okay, I'll f- I need to find a different word. That word just, just <laughs> that, that was a big word. You know, that yeah. feels like an arrow. Okay, <laughs> but you know, it, we we begin to find uh, effective prompts." Mm-hmm to get our needs met without going to war. And in the, in the episode, there's, you know, little tidbits of great information that come out. You're like, yeah, well, we just, you know, threw manure at each other for an hour and, and and I found your ring, you know, like, Oh, this is the ring you were looking for. I, one of the things recently, probably in the last couple of years, because I, our personalities are so different, right? And I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I see problems. Danny says I eat problems for breakfast, but I, I just see problems. I'm, I'm the person that can't worship because there's a typo on the, on the <laughs> screen. You know, I, I just, I want to go fix it. I, just, I see problems, and so. Um, that's a, it can be a gift in certain situations, but it's not always needed in every situation. So sometimes Danny, he's, he's a dreamer. So he's like, you know, what I'd like to do is, you know, and he'll go into whatever it is that he wants to do. And I would, I think, Oh, we're talking about this. So I'll bring me and I'll start saying, well, how much is it going to cost? And what, so, you know, where's it going to go? Or how are we going to do that? Or how are you going to, and so he, 
he, I shut him down, right? Mm. I shut his, his dreamer down. So he said to me one day, he goes, I just want to go on a magic carpet ride. <laughs> and I, and I thought, yeah. And I'm, and I'm saying things like, how old is this rug? And, and maybe you should get <laughs> how a new much model. magic is in that rug. Do we have enough it's, magic? It's to got make frayed it edges. <laughs> you know, maybe you should upgrade, you know, I'm poking holes in this and all he wants to do is just sit on this magic carpet, right? And let's just go. And I'm like, okay, I don't have to solve all these problems. I can do that at work. I can do that with teams yeah. or whatever. But when he starts going, I just like, okay, it's, it's not, this is not about me right now. It's just him, whether we do it or not, or I can show you. Yeah. He, he doesn't <laughs> just sing, but you could, that'd be awesome. Yeah. 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 I mean, we're sitting in my she shed <laughs> because I wanted a couple of garden beds. <laughs> and so when his dreamer is active, it, it produces beautiful things sometimes, yeah. you know, um, but if I poke holes in it, then I, then we get in a fight over dumb stuff, you know? Mm. So I, having those little phrases has really helped. Um, just, so yeah. I mean, he spends a lot of time helping other people. Mm. And so when he comes home and he is distant or I, I can, that's when I learned to say, Hey, I, I, I used to say, we miss you. Instead of you'd rather be with other people than us. I, that's how I started years ago. Like you'd rather help all those people. My than, favorite was you don't care about your family. You don't care about your family. Oh, yeah. All you care about is I'm other sure people. That was so he spent hours <laughs> all day helping other people and he'd come home and I'd be like, so I learned to say, we miss you. Mm. We need you. We need your strength. And then I get a different Danny because mm. that's what he wants to <laughs> Um so yeah, it's just a lot of trial and error and figuring it out. <laughs> That's so good. I like the yeah. concept of getting phrases when you're not triggered to then mean something that is, you know, like has a ton more context that you got to when you were right. not emotionally yeah. hijacked. <laughs> yes. That's good. Thanks yeah. for sharing guys. Yeah. We call it drug intoxicated, emotionally intoxicated. <laughs> Yeah, I like that. I'm out of my mind right now. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. We literally have a very similar scenario where I'm the dreamer and he'd be like, it literally be like a deer in headlights assessing all the costs. He's an accountant. He's like Mr. Steady. Eddie. Yeah. So that's one of our common go arounds too, is that like, I love all the possibilities and that's like, that's when I'm the most free in general. And that's when he's most anxious. As her dream rises, so does my anxiety. And then conversely, when I'm like, my excitement is rising, it's because it's familiar. We've done it before. We're going to do it again. And she's like feeling so trapped (laughs) at the same time. What's the point of life if we go to Black Bear Diner for a fourth (laughs) anniversary, you know? (laughs) Yeah. 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 Well, another thing, you know, Sherry's a verbal processor, right? So Mm -hmm. she's just, you know, super comfortable, just letting all her thoughts just drain, you know, and, and I feel responsible for, you know, problems or anxiety or whatever. And so I, I, I do want to fix it. I do, you know, I, I want this problem to stop. So all this will stop. I think, you know, somewhere in my head, I'm like, oh gosh, if I could just fix this, then, then all this will go away. And obviously that was the, you know, processor fixer dynamic. So the prompt there was, um, are we venting or are we solving problems? Mm. And she would go venting. I'm, venting. I'm like, oh, okay. All right. Come on. I am a good listener. I love <laughs> to listen actually. And, and she just let it run. But yeah. if she says, no, I need help with this. Yeah. Like, he'd oh, say, are, okay, you, are okay, you venting or do you need some help? Yeah. And I'd be like, I need some help right here. Emotion. I'm maybe dealing with a problem, a relational problem or something. But sometimes I'm just like, I'm just venting about my day. Yeah. And so, yeah, he just shows up different. And I, yeah. This is quality time. I did not understand. Yeah. This is yeah. quality time right here. I, I'm asked to serve. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. Would you do that? Oh, my. No way. Wait, how did you, Are you what? faking listening to me? Now? No, I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, up. This, this right here is okay. I feel free to participate in this. Yeah. I, I don't feel uh, irresponsible or neglectful by just let what otherwise feels like it's you're, you're complaining. If you're complaining, I get anxious and I, I think that's wrong. Yeah. But if you're just processing, I'm like, Oh, 
now I am going to engage like, oh, this is this is what we're doing. So it, it we've had to work this out 40 years into this yeah. and we're not done yet. <laughs> it's great. Oh, this is so good. Yeah. Um, so we're, we've come to the end of the episode and it kind of is our tradition with uh, Marriage Lab is to always ask our our interviewees uh, for if they have an awkward sex story. Um, so would you happen to have any in the 40 years that you could potentially recall? <laughs> we were, I asked him about this earlier. I was, I can't think of anything really, can you? Um, Not without being weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I mentioned earlier that, you know, it's just, just been all good and so you know that feels awkward to tell people it's just all well let's tell you that i will tell you this we went on our honeymoon honeymoon oh yeah and uh we didn't have any money so god bless uh, nell and jean nicolette let us use their houseboat oh sweet and we had it for a week and we didn't even have money to drive it we had to put gas in it drive it across the lake and park because we didn't have a boat to go with it we had zero money um that's back when the gas prices were pretty low. Yeah. And about, you know, three or four days, we were supposed to be there seven days or something. Three days later, we were heading for the dock to come in because yeah. we were just, we were clinically incompatible. We were, we didn't, we, we had, we weren't saved. And so we had all that, you know, unsaved life of, before we got married right. and we came together and we were like, I don't know how to do this. So yeah, <laughs> okay. we had to go figure it out. Yeah. You ended your honeymoon early. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. We, we did. We, we realized we were trapped on a houseboat. <laughs> we couldn't even go to the movie or yeah. it was just. There's no hard. escaping each other. Yeah, there was. There was no escaping. <laughs> when did you get um, yeah. saved? How far into marriage? No, we got saved a year before we got married. So we got saved when we were twenty-one. Got married at twenty-two. Had Brittany at twenty-three, wow. and he started full-time school and group home at twenty-four. Wow! Yep. You don't do anything halfway, do you? No. <laughs> no. Changing the world. Full throttle, baby. <laughs> Well, thanks, guys. We appreciate your time. Yeah, I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. it was fun. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bless you.